The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you and for the next half hour as always an open, frank, honest conversation about gambling addiction and addicts. Joining us, as always, from Epic Risk Management, our friend Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Good morning. How are you today? Doing great. And thrilled to have on the show today Gary, also from New York. Gary, good morning. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm great today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. This show's a little bit different, but I think really important in that Gary grew up uh, in the shadows of a compulsive gambler. Gary's dad was a longtime gambler. And uh, ran the gamut uh, of the uh, addiction. So Gary's got an interesting perspective on it. So I appreciate you sharing that with us today, Gary. Absolutely. Honored to be here. When you look back on your life, uh, how young were you when you remember your dad gambling to a point where you knew it was something that he did regularly? I would say when I was 9, 10, 11 years old, um, I knew he was gambling, and it was part of our family lifestyle. Um, and I thought this was normal behavior, whether it was going to the, uh, the track on a Sunday afternoon with the family, or back in that those days it was high light. We used to go Saturday nights at Bridgeport, Bridgeport High Light, um, OTB stops. I would either sit in the car waiting for him or going in. And I thought it was all you know, part of life. I was, I was involved with it. Honestly, on Sunday mornings, he used to have betting slips with the spreads on them. And I would go over it with him. Um, I'd circle the, the teams that I wanted, and I was rooting for that day. And then before the game started, he would go into his office, and I'd hear him on the phone um, betting on the games. I'd say, put a nickel on this, put a dime on this. Little did I know. I was so naive that a nickel was a $500. Right. Later on, I found out about it. The dime was $1,000. And what better way to spend a Sunday afternoon sitting watching football with your father, rooting with him from 1 o'clock to 7 o'clock? We didn't have, obviously, Sunday night games at that time. Sure. I mean, what, what, more, does, what more can a son want on a Sunday afternoon watching football with their father? So... So that sounds normal, and is I agree with you. You know, it's probably even to a certain level pretty cool that your dad was doing it when you were a kid. And then, of course, there does come a point in your life where your dad becomes a compulsive gambler, and it wreaks havoc with your family. And I wonder if you don't mind sharing how old you were when that started to uh, manifest itself. So when I was 15 years old, my sister was 12 years old. My parents were all of 35, 36 years old. We found out that my father had gambled away an enormous amount of money. Um, How did you find that out? My mother came to us and told us that what happened, that uh, you know, they, they, he gambled his money away, um, and we may have to move. And she and she miraculously stayed together with him at that time. She and her mother sold all their jewelry and somehow came, somehow came up with all the money to pay back the bookies, the Shylocks, back in then dark alleys in parking lots so he wouldn't be killed. Now, let, let, and, if you don't uh, mind, let me stop you there. When your mom comes and tells you and your younger sister that, at any point do you have a conversation with your dad about it? 
Um, at that time, I'm trying to reflect back because a lot of this, you know, subconsciously, you kind of block a lot of this out. Right. Um, he sat us down also and explained what he did and took responsibility for it at that time. Yes. And, you know, it obviously it rocked our world tremendously. And, uh, and at that, you know, also I felt like I was part of it. Like, because I was involved with him, I was, I, I thought I was enabling this, you know, I, obviously in retrospect, I wasn't. But it took me years to really understand what was going on. So they did approach me, and then, you know, they joined GA, and they told me all about that. And I celebrated some significant anniversaries with them. I get one year, five years, whatever it was at that time. Mm -hmm. And learning early on a little about the 12-step program early on in life. But obviously, it certainly affected um, our, our life. And, you know, one other thing I wanted to say that was, that was an enabler and part of it. I remember taking trips to Florida, landing at about 10 o'clock at night, and I would be the first one running off the plane to get to a phone booth because at that time there was no sports center. I called sports phone because I knew what he had bet on that night. Right. And, you know, I think I still remember the number. I think 800 Yeah. King, King Wally for a sports phone back in another 10 minutes. And I, then I'd run up to him at the baggage claim area. Dad, the, the, the Knicks covered. The Celtics didn't. The, the Lakers are, are halftime. They're up by 10. It's like, I met these things like stick with me to this day. Um, you know, so you, did you have uh, a certain amount of guilt associated with that? Absolutely. You did. I had guilt associated with it. Um, later on in life, I spent a lot of time in therapy and <laughs> dealing with this. Um, but as time has gone on, you know, things, uh, you know, they, that's the beginning of the first time when my father gambled. Right, so, so uh, let me go from there. So your dad's gambling has a problem. He, he loses all his money gambling. Your mom and uh, the rest of the family uh, sell jewelry and other items to pay off the debt. He's clean. He's now committed to GA. And was there a period of time there where you, looking back on it, feel like life got normal again and got good again? Or did uh, the rocky road continue? Life was wonderful. Years passed by, life moved on. My parents were involved with the GA activities. My sister and I got married, had kids, we raised a family. So life moves on. Fast forwarding 27 years later, it's like 2006, I was probably now 42 years old. We find out that my father was gambling again. So it was, so 27 years, I imagine he was probably gambling before you guys found out, but for you, a quarter of a century went by, and then uh, how did you find out that your dad was now gambling again? My mother got a call one day, I don't know if it was from a friend or a family, that a check bounced. And I think her whole life flashed in front of her. You know, you know, when I was earlier, 27 years ago, my mother said to me, if you ever do this again, don't bother coming home. I'm, I'm done. So she finds this out. She gets him on the phone. Got to get home right now. And never came home, and I never saw him again until my my kids got married <laughs> at a wedding. Really? So um, that wow. so when your mom calls him on it, hey, we bounced the check, get your ass home. He doesn't come home, and and I'm, I imagine this is tough for you, so I do apologize for the personal questions. He you, that's it. He disappears. We couldn't find him for a few days, maybe a week, and then he wound up appearing again and told us what happened. And um, he was in life was in shambles. He goes back again during those 27 years. To the best of my knowledge, he was in GA and working the program. 
I, I assume so. So now we go back into GA and start working the program all over again, leaving my mother broke. And, you know, the mental part of it, the psychological, the spiritual, leaving the whole family in, in, to, in total shambles. And um, as I understand it, your dad also had some legal trouble at that around that time, too, yeah? Yeah, he, um, he took money from friends, from family, from clients, uh, retirement money. Um, and um, he spent, I was, I mean, he, he spent a year in jail. I was in the courtroom the day he was sentenced, which is a visual that will always be in my cells and my soul. Sure. I'm him handcuff, handcuff, and it's something you just never, ever forget. And I visited him a few times in different places he was over that year, upstate New York. Um, always waiting for some phone calls from him at my desk because he wasn't allowed to call a cell phone from there. Right. And try, trying, trying to stay connected as best as possible as we, uh, as we were trying to you know, put, our, put all our lives back together, especially my mother's. When you saw your dad in handcuffs or when you saw your dad in the courtroom uh, you know, for his trial or prior to sentencing, and it's, I hope you understand the question, did you recognize him? Or did he look like, hey, that's my dad, or did he look like somebody you didn't know? That's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, you're looking at somebody who, you know, who's your father, who's, you know, your hero, somebody you, you know, look up to, and who is this, who is this person? Um, a shadow of himself, I guess I could say. Yeah, well, that's, that's a great question, and emotional, of course, but yeah, looking at him as like, who is this, who is this human being that raised me and um, so close with all those years to help me through so many difficult times sure. in life. Let me uh, stop and, you there, bring Dan in for a moment. You know, Dan, well, you know, I'm so glad Gary joined us today because it's it's the opposite end of the spectrum. It's, you know, the victim. It's the innocent family member that people like you and I have hurt. Um, and, you know, I spend my life now wondering, you know, how much damage I did, you know, to my kids. And I wonder, yeah. I don't know if there's, you know, if there's a lot of literature on it, but listening to Gary talk, obviously your kids are much younger than mine, Dan, but, you know, what do you make of it thus far? Yeah, you know, it's really, it's sobering. It, 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 it's a reminder that the return to gambling can happen anytime. It's a reminder that when the family members have questions for the person in recovery, that they're justified, you know, because at any given point in time, you know, that addiction switch is always on. And at any given point in time, a person given the, the wrong set of circumstances can go right back. And it, it starts so, it can start so innocently. It could be doing things that maybe we had gotten comfortable doing and, and, and kind of taking them for granted or stopping or changing up the things that are working for us or, or reengaging with those activities that, okay, I'm, I'm 25 years removed from the bet. Maybe now I can handle this responsibly or, or in a different way. It, there's just so much going through my head right now because to hear the family member's perspective, Craig, is so important. We talk about it all the time that it's it's the family members we need to hear more from because they are impacted and and they 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 question, they have doubts. You know that trust and that faith is gone. And uh, wow, you know it just really reminds me of the, of the devastating nature of gambling addiction. Uh, you can't see it. You don't know what's happening, and every day you're wondering what's happening in that person's brain because you, you, you can't see in there. You don't have a magnifying glass. You can't see it. Uh, 
it's it's really eye opening. It really is. Let me take a quick break on that. We'll continue with Gary's story. It's Craig Carton, Dan Trelaro. It's Hello, my name is Craig on WFAN. Back to more of Hello, my name is Craig on the Fan with your host Craig Carton and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, eight hundred Gambler. Welcome back to Hello, my name is Craig. Craig Carton with you. Thrilled to have Gary on the line with us, and of course Dan Trelaro from Epic Risk Management. So, Gary. Your dad's in prison. He's, he's at Rikers. You see him a couple times. Your life is now, as an adult, you know, thrown into the into the the wind gust machine. Did you at any point reconcile with him? Did he ever sit down as an adult now and apologize? And what's that relationship like? The relationship is challenging. Um... You know, we feel like, you know, a lot of shame was brought to the family. My sister didn't talk to him for many years. Now they've uh, reconciled a little. I always carry a hole in my heart that is very hard to repair. Um, we've taken the high road together. We are in a somewhat peaceful place now. Not, in my opinion, not even close to what it should be. But here we are all these years later. I have my life. Everybody's got their lives. Um the question about apologizing, it's like, you know, my father will probably listen to this, and I don't really know, and I'm just going to say it, I don't really know if I've ever really felt the remorse for um, what was done. And, but, um, I, I appreciate the emotion, I do. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough, and, um, so yeah. we're in a we're in a decent place right now. He's gotten remarried. He's moved on with his life. He has you know he's very blessed to have six great grandchildren, fourth great grandchildren, and um, he's living his life right now as best as possible and he's found his way through. And we are in a I'll say we're in a decent a peaceful place right now. And we've taken the high road many times together, understanding there are struggles and challenges. Um, throughout the process. Do you ask him if he's gambling again, or is that not a topic of conversation? I, I Occasionally I do. Um, to the best of my knowledge, he's not. Of course, we know compulsive gamblers. We don't know the, the biggest, best liars around. So I, yep. I don't know, and it's, and it's a silent disease, as we know. And, um, yeah, and this is something Dan said earlier, you know, never be complacent as a, as a as an addict in any way. You know, we ha- you know, we have to be vigilant. 27 years before he was in remission, so-called, and who knows what's going on. So it's the, you know, the partners and the um, family always have to be on top of it. To me, have to be on top of them, you know, if they can't do it on their own. Did, um, did you ever talk to your mom about the relationship and obviously you know she was she was hurt very badly to the point where she said if you ever do it again i have to leave you for my own sake my own sanity but i wonder you know later in life as he went through his you know trials and tribulations if you and your mom ever sat down and talked about you know the disappointment that that she uh that she lived with yeah i mean tremendous amounts of pain there um she obviously trusted him the husband, we trust them, and everything is going well for so long. And she's just—it's been tough. It's been—it's been really. Uh, I have we said we've had some conversations, but it's so painful at times to have those conversations. Like I said, a hole in all our hearts, uh, the shame, um, 
and the deep and lifelong consequences from all of this, mentally, sure. physically, spiritually, financially, of course. Is um, your dad a good grandfather? Yes. He, he reaches, is. He reaches out. He reaches out. Yes. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. He's trying to be involved. He moved down to Florida, so it's a little difficult, but uh, he, um, he is involved. You know, after when, when I went, when we, when we came out after 27 years, you know, I went into a gammonon room for a few years. The gammonon room, for those who don't know, are the family members. Right. And I needed that for therapy. You know, I didn't go in when I was 15 <laughs> years old. And um, that helped me a lot. It helped me understand that we are powerless over the gambler. Um, you know, I used to get upset in the room because I, I, when I first went in, I was angry, probably irrational, that, you know, it's an illness, it's an illness, they kept saying to me. They were powerless, but I said, no, I argue with them. You know, BS. I, he knew what he was doing. He's done it before. He should have known better. Right. But as, as, and then you read the articles, and maybe it's not a disease. Maybe it's a lack of connection in life of some sort, emotionally not said in a certain way. But when they, I surrendered, when I learned in Gamanon that we are so powerless over the gambler, it helped me balance my emotions at, at, at that time. So let me ask you this then. While you've, you're very honest in saying that you don't feel he ever showed the proper amount of remorse through your experience with Gamanon and, and meeting other you know, relatives of gamblers who you know, suffered the same types of things that you and your family did, do you forgive him? I forgive him, and therapy allowed me to get to that place and to be able to allow myself to move on, but cannot ever forget what he did to us, especially the second time. It's right. a very pain, painful, painful internally, obviously. Now, and I got it again. No, go ahead, please. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, not that there's this, well, uh, I think, I, I believe things happen for a reason in life, and not that this was a blessing, or maybe there's a silver lining out of this, but, you know, as I got older, and I became a, more aware of my own character, it allowed me to become more aware of my own character traits and my personality traits, and my own vices, that, you know, I've gone to Vegas many times with buddies from March Madness and the NFL wildcard weekends on my birthday. And if this didn't happen in my life, I could have seen myself getting caught up with that glitz and the glamour and the sexiness yeah. of Vegas. You know, now I could take, you know, $50 to a blackjack table. If it lasts me 20 minutes or two hours, that's it. I'm done. You know, right. um, I have my fun and I move on. So I don't know if that would have happened without this happening in my it sounds crazy but you so in other words you're saying your dad's travails in a weird way may have set the stage for you to be uh, not an anti-gambler per se but to be more responsible and recognize that you don't want to go down that road and without that you don't know that you wouldn't have yeah right more mindful awareness um yeah so one of the things i want to bring up to you you know when you emailed me you know it struck me you know you know, quite uh, emotionally that as someone who used to listen to me when I was on in the mornings with Boomer Esiason, that you recognize certain traits or triggers in the manner in which I talked about gambling that scared you. And I wonder if you don't mind sharing, you know, what was that? Because I know you said in your email to me that you felt sick to your stomach that you never reached out to Boomer on my behalf to say Craig's got a problem and I wonder what you heard and why it set you down that path. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just hearing the way you spoke, the intimacy with which you spoke about the gambling, 
you know, take in that whatever it was, ten, twenty thousand dollars I forgot going to Atlantic City for the guys that day and you know, turning it over and making money for them. Like like who does that? And it was I was saying to myself. Right. Um and I did I had the sixth sense by listening to people. I mean, I just gonna sound crazy, but I can almost see people's eyes and determine if they're if they have a problem. I, 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 it's walking through. I don't I don't go through casinos anymore because just the chimes and the bells just like bring back so much pain. But I can almost tell, and not speaking arrogantly, that something is not right. And I felt there that I didn't reach out at that time. I also felt there, Craig. I have to tell you that once you got in trouble. You know, and I felt bad for you. I was internally, I was crying for your own family, and I wanted to find, I had no idea how to get in touch with your, your, your kids because I knew, and I wanted to, and I had no, no way of doing that, obviously. And, you know, again, their father, their hero, as, and your, your public figure, you, you, but they, 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 they must have felt, and I was hoping to find a way to share my feelings and emotions and telling them that life will move on and support them as much as possible. But, and, and I'll tell you now, to this day, if you ever, if they ever want to, and I know it's a different age. I'm 58 years old now. I can I'll speak to them, and I'll be able to help help you all both in anything that needs to be done with speaking to the high schools, which I've done in the past. Speaking yeah. to parents who don't know what's going on with their children and are scared about it. So to answer that question, yes, I was just became aware of the way you spoke about it, the confidence about it, the terminology you used, and just being basically my history of just living this life. It just, it just came to me. Well, I mean, you heard it right. You know, Dan, you deal yeah. with that in your everyday now. I imagine yeah. when you talk to people that you know, come to you through the show or through Epic, that you have the same sense that Garrett does, yeah? Yeah, 100%. You can hear the way that people talk about ga- gambling. They have it, Gary just said it right, that intimate relationship. There's, there's even certain pronouns that people use uh, when they've lost and they're chasing and they're on the, kind of on the run there and they say, I need to get my money back. You know, the sports book has my money. So they get very possessive. They, you can see a twinkle in the eye when they talk about gambling. There's, there's a change in the pitch and the inflection of their voice at times when they talk about it. And, and Gary's right. It's like, yeah, I'll take this money and I'm going to, I'm going to turn it into something bigger. You know, on an everyday basis, you know, the, the average person doesn't look to do that. Right. Um, and again, looking at them independently doesn't necessarily mean there's a problem, but when you start piecing things together, it's like a puzzle and you start getting all these little pieces together. It's like, oh boy, I think we're dealing with something here. And it's that stigma. It's afraid to say something because there's no, positive urine screen, right? You're not going to smell it on the breath. So there's always that element of doubt that says, well, you know, they're probably smart. Now they probably know what they're doing. They're probably okay. No, we have to be okay having a conversation if we care about somebody and saying, hey, I'm a little concerned about you. Can I talk with you for a minute? And it might, you know, at the end of the day, it's coming from a genuine place of concern and care. Then that individual should not have any, any issue with it. And they might deny it all day long, but at least they know, hey, you're on the radar now. Well, Gary, listen, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. Uh, you know, I, we always talk about, you know, the loved ones of a gambler, you know, the family members, the kids, the spouses, and the, the close friends who, are, you know, they're the ones that are always in harm's way first. Like for your family, you know, it was financial problems. And, and then obviously the lack of trust in a relationship that got ruined. But, you know, we don't hear from those people a lot. And I really, I can't thank you enough for opening up and sharing the story because, you know, guys like you are left in our wake. And there's a lot of times where we don't really recognize or appreciate all the damage that we've caused 
to our loved ones. So from that regard, you know, I feel I feel you know horrible right now, in that I know that I've done the same thing, Dan. I feel I'm sure you feel the same way, yeah. and you being a voice of those innocent family members, I think is very powerful, and I really can't thank you enough. Absolutely, anytime, and like I think I wrote you. I think we were, I'm a firm believer that we are all part of a plan, and what you and Dan are doing, you're helping the impact you have on people's lives, maybe saving people from dying, you know. And I think you you have the platform to help change those dynamics and the awareness of this dreaded illness, and saving the people and families from destruction and even potential death. How many people actually get this honor and have this opportunity in life to affect so many lives? Not many. And I bless you both with continued health so you can be those leaders that you already are for many, many years to come. And help one, if you're helping one person, you've had an impact on that family. And that's just a tremendous, tremendous, I say in my little, in a mitzvah, it's, it's a, what a, what a deed, what an accomplishment. And I, I thank, I'm so grateful you have this show where people are listening and what you guys do. And I'm available to you and I can keep going on, but I know the time is up. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And I wish you both well and good health. Thank you. And, uh, you know, you're not that far away from a good portion of my family. So one day I hope to be able to come up to you and shake your hand and give you a hug and thank you. But we really appreciate you coming on today. Be well, be safe. Thank you all. Well, that was an emotional one, Dan. And I'm so glad you set us up. Gary reached out to me a while ago with an email, you know, just about his story. And, you know, it's just it's important for those people to be heard because, as much as we try to humanize the addict, I think the story as told by the relatives of the addict at times is even more powerful. Yeah, it's important that we hear the story. You're right. You know, we always talk about we're, we, we champion and we cheer for the person when they enter recovery, whether it's uh, drugs, alcohol, gambling. But then laying in the wake and in the background are the family members. And, and during that journey of recovery, Craig, as you know, we need the support. We need the support from our family. You know, I was talking to a guy that, that listens to our show, and he was struggling for a bit. And he said initially the only reason he stopped gambling was for his kids and for his wife. And we talked about the fact that that's a very important thing to do. But there will also come a point when you also need to do it for yourself because he wasn't getting the support at home when he stopped gambling. And he was so puzzled by the fact that he stopped gambling, yet he wasn't getting the support. We don't always get the support, Craig. I mean, sure. we've heard them for so long. It's going to take them a while to come along, and they need to have a voice. They need to go to Gammonon. They need to go to a support group where they can be around other people who've also been hurt by, by the person with the gambling problem. And they need to know, as Gary said, that they didn't cause the problem. They can't cure the problem, and they can't control the problem. Yeah, and I can tell you, and again, we try not to espouse any particular beliefs because recovery is an individual thing. But I will tell you that I have family members who went to Gammonon, and only because they heard from other family members of compulsive gamblers did they really get it, and did they did they really appreciate you know the depths of the addiction. And while it may not yeah. be for everybody, I, I agree. I would encourage you if you are a family member of a gambler, just find a random Gammonon meeting. You know you can find them by googling it, and I think you'll be amazed at the stories you hear. And I think maybe, well, maybe appreciation is not the right word here. I'm going to use it. You'd have a better appreciation for the addiction. And that'll only help you be a more supportive friend and family member. Yeah. And, and I'll add also that, you know, in person, if someone, you know, we're so busy and overworked these days, there's a website, gamblersinrecovery.com. 
which is an online resource for both the person with the gambling problem as well as the family member or loved one. And it's essentially a Zoom link from all around the globe. You can find multiple meetings going on from all over the world any time of day by checking out gamblersinrecovery.com. And it's a great starting point if you're a little apprehensive, because one of the hardest things to do, and you and I know this, is to, is to walk into a room of strangers. Yep, the, the first meeting is uh, the, well, I guess the second meeting is the hardest one. But, man, yeah. it was hard to walk into the first one, too. I'm not going to lie about it. Oh, my goodness. I never even walked into my first one. I sat in a car for two hours and drove home. So I got yeah. to the parking lot. That's as far as I went. Well, as but always, uh, I appreciate your time, and I'm so thrilled that Gary joined us as well. We'll do it again next week, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. Sounds good. Evan Roberts is coming up next. And, of course, Monday at 2 o'clock, Evan and I are back together again. That's Dan Trelaro with Epic Risk Management. I'm Craig Carton, and thank you so much for listening. So hello, my name is Craig.